0: Hey there! I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC weekly teaching. My name is Ryan Yancey and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30am in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. If you don't mind, I'm going to preach with my hat on today. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) I want to be able to see what I'm doing. You know, because of this COVID thing, it's been... Oh, I'd say it's been, been a, almost a year since I've been at an in-person service. So this is great. This is exciting. This morning I had to remember that I had to shower both halves of my body. <laughs> because I've been doing services Zoom online. So. <laughs> All right. Now... Gotta get myself set up here. I imagine you're you're used to to Ryan preaching from a tablet. I do the same thing mostly, so that I don't go off on a two-hour talk, and I stick to what is here because it scrolls by, and I'm I'm stuck with what I have to say. <laughs> now. It's been a couple of years, three years. How long has it been since I've preached here? I don't remember either. Anybody remember? It's been a while. (laughs) Anyways, the sermon today is, My Grace is All You Need. And, uh, well, as I say, I am so thankful to be here today and and to worship and serve in in person. But uh, let's start in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we come to you with hearts that need to be open to your word and your love. There's so much around us that that tears at us and causes us to tremble. Keep us ever mindful of your presence and the hope that you have given us in your Son, Jesus. Guide each one here at Zurich to spread the good news. And Lord, keep them focused on the mission and the ministry to which you have called them. Lead them forward. May we all remember that love and grace find its source in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I'm going to be looking at what Paul wrote in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm sure it's a well-known passage, but this... This is what the Lord laid on my heart for today. And I think in, you can never study the Bible enough. Even the well-known sections. Now that, before I get into that, that reminds me of a, of a commercial I heard a while ago. And it says this, 51% of being smart is knowing what you're dumb at. I thought about that and I said to myself of course that's true no one can know everything about everything but you don't have to know everything as long as you know that you don't know and then you know where to find somebody who does know I've often thought about that throughout the years and I've become convinced that those words express one of the truest truths that I know. Knowledge is like an onion. When you've learned all about the outside layer of that onion, you see, and then, then peel it away, you're confronted by another layer, and then another, and another, and it's the same with knowledge. In today's passage, Paul is, is competing with a rival group of believers. We might even call them missionaries to the Corinthian church. If Paul is to believe, then he was up against some false teachers, and it seems those rival missionaries were violent, arrogant, moralistic, and power-hungry. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 12 to 13, it says, But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I just got to say, wow. Now Paul paints us a biographical portrait in chapter 11 to let us see who he was before we get into chapter 12. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 5 and 6, but I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Now, I can just hear how Paul uses mocking tones as he names them super apostles. <laughs> Today's passage in chapter 12 makes you think. If we look at those first 10 verses, at first you might think, well, Paul is just boasting. But then you realize there is a, a difference in boasting about own achievements as his opponents were doing versus boasting about what Christ has done. He's taking the focus off himself and putting it where it belongs, on Christ. Paul is contrasting what the false teachers are doing. They're building themselves up, comparing to what he's doing, showing that in his weakness, God, Jesus, gives him strength. Verses three to seven are seasoned with humility, and I believe verse nine is the key verse in this passage. It's where Paul listens to God's voice saying to him, my grace is all you need. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please open them to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm gonna read verses two to 10. Again, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 to 10. Here's what it says. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to Paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about. But I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Word of the Lord. That last sentence, that's a beautiful sentence, isn't it? And you've probably read it or heard it many times. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To me, this sounds so much like a taste of God's grace. When the power of Christ combines with our belief, unrestrained by our fear of rejection, then extraordinary things might happen that astound the world. And that reminds me of a story that astounded the world that I read not long ago. It's a story about something that happened about one month after we arrived here in Canada. On September 20th, 1989 in Pretoria, South Africa, F.W. de Klerk was inaugurated as president of the country. In that country, apartheid was the thing. It was the legal segregation of the races. That law also separated the non-whites from each other. It divided black South Africans along tribal lines in order to decrease their political power. That was the law of the land. Now, de Klerk was a Christian who attended church regularly. So he invited his favorite pastor, a white man named Peter Bingle, to lead the worship service as part of the inaugural events. During the sermon, Pastor Bingle said this, Mr. de Klerk, as our new president, God is calling you to do his will. Today, God calls you to serve. As the president of South Africa, God's commission is not to serve as the president of some people, but as the president of all the people of South Africa. By the time they got to the benediction, de Klerk was weeping. He called his family and friends together and he said, Pray for me. God has told me what I must do, and if I do it, I will be rejected by my own people. Pray for me that I might do the will of God. Soon after, de Klerk took steps to release Nelson Mandela from prison. Then he began to negotiate with the African National Congress. Then he worked to dismantle the system of apartheid. And the rest, as they say, is history. So, my friends, how long will we let our unbelief, our fear of rejection, keep us from the astounding possibilities of God's grace? What keeps us from the amazing possibilities that God longs to accomplish in our lives? Grace seems easy, but I have to act. ask, what, what holds us back? Now, for, it seems for many it's hard to receive or to give. And what I mean is, first, we have a hard time receiving grace because we either feel that we're too undeserving to have undeserved favor of God or that we're okay and we really don't need it. Second, we have a hard time giving grace for lots of reasons. The hurt is too deep. We've ranked their sin worse than ours or we feel we still haven't received grace, or we have a hard time with the concept that we are forgiven instantly of our sins by a holy and righteous God. After all, we have placed our faith in his son Jesus. Do we fit in there? I think there are three primary reasons we struggle with the idea of both giving and receiving grace. And I want to dig a little bit deeper here. First, we are conditioned by conditional love. Second, we fail to understand Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And third, we use our minds rather than God's grace. On the first one, we're conditioned by conditional love. We live in a world of limited conditional love. While God says, I love you, We often say things like, I love you because, implying conditions. I love you until, implying limits. I love you unless. Well, you get the picture, right? What we so often see are spouses are left abandoned, children are abused or neglected, former friends who are left bewildered by the erosion of friendships, But really catch this God loves you unconditionally but he hates your sin and wants you to repent so that prompts a couple of questions does God still love me even with all my sins well yes does he require repentance well yes But we tend to do things differently though because from our perspective it seems that we are afraid to give grace we are afraid to simply impart his love without making sure that we first added the the necessary call to justice first but god's love and grace aren't limited he is fully capable of remaining perfectly holy while at the same time extending unconditional limitless love to even the worst of sinners. Ephesians 3 18 says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. Second, we fail to understand Jesus sacrifice on the cross. Keep in mind, God exists outside the boundaries and limitations of time. When it comes to the cross, we so often assume that he forgave us all our past sins, but not our future sins. Or maybe we do believe that he forgave all sins we've committed. But Jesus' death on the cross was an atoning sacrifice before God, and the apostle Peter explains it in First Peter 3.18. It says there, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered spirit, physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. So yes, we really should understand that Christ suffered on the cross For our sins, once, for all time, past, present, and future. Can I get an amen to that? Number three, we use our minds rather than God's grace. One of the mistakes we make is to assume that God has done 99% of the work of saving us and that we merely need to do 1%, and that is repent and believe. Well, hey, wait a minute. Repenting and believing doesn't contribute to our redemption Like at all Repenting and believing is simply the proper response to our redemption Salvation is 100% God's grace He initiated it. He justified it. He sanctified it And we have our own scales of self-justification and here's how they work we think Them and me my sins are pretty bad, but their sins are definitely worse But on God's scale God's immeasurable break immeasurable grace evokes a response of genuine repentance and faith from all of us And we still have a problem we we can't easily stretch out our hands and reach out to God God's grace is hard for us to grasp because we're limited in our perspectives. We're conditioned by our culture. We're naturally defensive, and we want an inordinate sense of fairness about the wrongs committed by others. But grace is grace. The existence of God means the existence of grace. 2 Peter 3.18 Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The growing we need to do is to see with our hearts, with our minds and our spirits, that grace is an unconditional gift of love. God's gift to us, yes? Let me tell you another story. A young medical student... uh, he confronted a pastor. He said, I've dissected the human body, he announced, and I found no soul. The pastor said, well, well that's interesting. When you did the brain, did you find a thought? When did, you, did the eyes? did you find vision? When you dissected the heart, did you find love? The student kind of thoughtfully answered, uh, no, I did not. The pastor said gently, Of course, you believe in the existence of thoughts and of vision and of love. The human soul is the totality of man's existence and relationship with God. Just because you cannot locate it on a medical chart does not mean that it does not exist. Most people accept such reasoning and we believe with our heads, but that is not the kind of belief that faith in Christ is about. Even the demons believe, says scripture, and tremble. Faith in Christ is more than mere intellectual assent. It is believing with your heart, with your will, with your, all your adoration, with your soul, and with your actions. I think for sure that if the Apostle Paul was there standing beside that medical student, he would be thinking, there, now he gets it, maybe. God promised that Paul would never lack sufficient grace to overcome his weakness. Paul just had faith and he believed. The Lord says, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. This grace of Christ was what Paul needed because divine power finds its full scope and strength only in human weakness. The greater the Christians acknowledged weakness, the more evident Christ's enabling strength. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, remember in verse seven it says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was because he doesn't tell us. Some have suggested that it was epilepsy or a disease of the eyes or recurring bouts of malaria, which was common in the Mediterranean area at that time. Or maybe he had a hunchback. Someone even thought that he might have been writing about his (laughs) mother-in-law. Or maybe it was a chronic and debilitating problem which at times just simply kept him from working at all. A thorn in the flesh, in modern terminology, might be called a pain in the neck. Or a pain in some other sensitive part of one's anatomy. (laughs) A thorn is whatever causes you pain or frustration or sadness. And thorns come in all shapes and sizes From an actual thorn through to migraine headaches In any case this thorn was a hindrance to his ministry and and Paul prayed for its removal (laughs) Well But God said no But it was some kind of weakness some kind of affliction that was causing him difficulty and he wanted it gone But God refused Paul was a very self-sufficient person. So this thorn must have been really difficult for him, a real thorn in his side. And though thorns vary in length and severity, most of us have at least one thorn at any given time. Well, I guess I need to ask, do you know what your thorn is? Years ago in my youth, my, my thorn uh, was was my father. He, his physical and mental abuse caused me to leave home when I was 13. So even though I was not a Christian and didn't know it, I was looking for and searching for God, for God's grace. And when I finally found it, I was able to breathe. And thorns change. Later my thorn was my back. Now it's my hips. But all those thorns in my life made me realize that I ultimately can't rely on myself because I was and am weak but I can rely on God who makes me strong notice what Paul did about his thorn Paul prayed to God on three occasions asking him to remove the thorn but again God did not do so so here are some more things to to think about three times paul prayed it benefited those around him god chooses according to his divine purposes we must trust our bodies to god's care god's power is displayed in our weaknesses and when we are strong there is danger that this leads us into pride six thoughts three times paul prayed verse eight three different times i begged the lord to take it away three times paul Prayed for healing and didn't receive it, but he received things far greater because he received greater grace from God. He received a stronger character, humility, and an ability to emphasize with others. Where does it say in the Bible that our prayer requests will also be a- always be answered how we want them answered? Anybody know where that is? Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he be spared the agony of the cross, but God's answer was no, and Jesus said, your will be done. Second, it benefited those around him. In addition, the thorn benefited those around Paul as they saw God at work in his life. So maybe that was God's plan. God, according to his sovereign plan, does not heal some believers of their physical ailments. We don't know why some are spared and others aren't, but God does. Number three, God chooses according to his divine purposes. Our task is to pray, to believe, and to trust, yes? Paul is living proof that holy living and courageous faith do not ensure instant physical healing. Some prayers do not receive positive responses be God in it because God in his wisdom knows that something else is better for us I pray for healing of the sick people that I know of all the time and I believe that all those prayers are answered you see God heals three ways the first and most common by healing God has given us penicillin he's given us bypass surgery The second way God heals is beyond our understanding, and we call these healings miracles. And the third way God heals will be experienced by all of us Christians, and I refer to the healing that we will receive on the way to heaven. If we have claimed Jesus Christ by faith as savior, Savior and Lord, he will heal us completely between heaven and earth, because by the time we get to heaven, we're healed. Yes. Despite Paul's thorn in the flesh, he was content. And what was his secret of contentment? He tells us in the first part of verse 9. This is after Paul prayed. Each time he, God, said my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. The fourth thought we must trust our bodies to God's care. When we pray for healing. We must trust our bodies to God's care. Very simply, we must recognize that nothing can separate us from His love and that our spiritual condition is always more important than our physical condition. The fifth thought, God's power is displayed in our weaknesses. Second half of verse 9, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Although God did not remove Paul's affliction, he promised to demonstrate his power in Paul. The fact that, Paul's, that God's power is displayed in our weaknesses should give us courage and hope. We will depend, at least I think we would be smart to depend more on God for our effectiveness, for our effectiveness rather than our own energy, effort, or talent, yes? And the sixth thought. When we are strong, there is danger that this will lead us into pride. Think of it this way. When we are strong in abilities or resources, we're tempted to do God's work on our own. And that can lead us into pride. But when we're weak, when we allow God to fill us with his power, then we are stronger than we could ever be on our own. God does not intend for us to be weak, passive, or ineffective. Life provides enough hindrances and setbacks without us creating them. When, not if, when those obstacles come, we must depend on God. So remember, listen for his voice when he tells you, My grace is all you need. Yes? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your unlimited love, for your unlimited grace. But Lord, help me to remember your promise of grace. Help me to listen for your voice in those quiet moments of prayer, worship, or song. And help us to hear you when you When we read your word, help me to surrender my life to you. It is not really my own, but yours, Lord. You made me, you comfort me. You are all that I need. In Jesus' name, amen.